Hi, I'm Nina Starner. And I am Abraham Josephine Reisman, but you can call me Josie. And this is One of the Girls, a podcast about pop culture, girlhood, and the way that the two intersect. And today, I'm excited. Are you excited? Oh, I'm very excited. I mean, we only pick things that we're at least on some level excited to talk about. But this one, (laughs) I'm very excited about. We're talking about Chasing Amy and perhaps a broader dip into some aspects of the larger oeuvre of its Mm writer-director, Kevin Smith. Um, But Chasing Amy is, you know... Kevin Smith had this really amazing run in the 90s. Whatever you think of the movies, they were very successful. He did Clerks, Small Rats, which wasn't as successful initially, but then became a big cult hit. Chasing Amy, and then Dogma. It's and the Askewniverse, right? That's the, the View Askewniverse. View Askewniverse, movie- thank you. The View Askew, because View Askew Productions was, mm-hmm, was the name mm-hmm, of the company mm-hmm. that he was doing it with, uh, you know, that he created. But um, so Chasing Amy... As good as a lot of those other movies are, and I rewatched them in 2017 when I was researching for a profile of Kevin Smith, where I went to his mansion and drove around with him, and it was a wild time. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about that. I would love but, just quickly. I want to yeah. circle back to that because I. Oh, we will. Yeah, when I'm you sure, now that you, I'm saying it. Yeah. Well, you also came to me with this. This chasing Amy was your pitch, and right. I remember thinking to myself, I actually was like, I think Josie's met Kevin Smith. I and have. I, yeah, and so I definitely want to bring that into it because I don't think you can disentangle like that. You have no. had a personal interaction with this guy. Who's, I have. Yeah, and it was it, it was illuminating on a number of levels. Although I, I, you know, I probably should have gone back and checked the transcript to see what he'd said about Chasing Amy in particular. I remember some things, but I'm sure there are things that are eluding me. Mm-hmm. Either way, Chasing Amy, um, in brief, is a very simple rom-com type setup, or at least romantic drama type setup, yeah. which is there's a guy, he's straight, and he falls in love with a woman who ostensibly is a lesbian. And wackiness and heartbreak Mm -hmm. ensues. That is the simple setup. But what's wonderful about this movie is, uh, unlike virtually any mainstream LGBTQ movie of the 90s, it's so nuanced and ahead of its time in the problems it's trying to untangle. Um, there's all kinds of stuff in there, all kinds of nuance, all kinds of very minutely observed detail that honestly you wouldn't expect from a guy like Kevin Smith, who at least as far as he and I and everyone knows is straight and cis. And yet it's but also unbel- extraordinarily a liberal, like very, yeah. Yeah, very, he's, he's very yeah. liberal. He's not, yeah. he's not, it's not like he's bigoted or anything, mm-mm, mm-mm. but I just wouldn't, I, I if sure. I had been old enough to be thinking about such things back in the time when this movie came out in 97 I would have been surprised at the as it was just that Kevin Smith had such insight into queerness sure. you know you just you don't anticipate that but it's it's a really tenderly and sometimes devastatingly observed movie about how queer relationships and relationships between queer people and ostensibly straight people mm-hmm. can end up causing wreckage but also being very beautiful and i'm curious what was your first experience of seeing this movie it it was for this podcast i had never seen it before oh you i for some reason i thought you'd seen it no and i i did not tell you that till we started recording oh i love that Um, elements of surprise mm -hmm, on the pod mm -hmm. everybody loves that brand new information truly Um, had you seen other kevin smith movies prior to this i've seen clerks um okay 
I feel like I saw Dogma in high school. Dogma's like hard to watch now, right? It's not on stream. I remember reading oh, something is it about not streaming. I don't know. Maybe it's not. I might be out I, of date, but I remember seeing something that's like it's really hard to watch Dogma these days. But also, like respect for making Alanis Morissette God. I mean, bless. I know it's um, that's a really good movie too. Although I haven't rewatched that one since yeah. 2017. And then okay, honestly, so you- my first ever Kevin Smith experience was on Degrassi: The Next Generation, where sure. he appeared as himself um, yep. with. Um, uh, Jay in tow, I believe, and they were like, yeah, "Oh, we're gonna News, do, yeah. yeah, we were gonna do stuff because he was a big Degrassi fan growing up, and then right. he was on Next Generation, which was that was my only friend like freshman year of high school was Degrassi the Next Generation. <laughs> Degrassi Next Generation, yeah, yeah, I watched a lot of it. So honestly, my first introduction to him was on a Canadian teen soap that also introduced me that. to Drake. So there's a lot going. There you on go. There. I can't remember where I first encountered Kevin Smith. I mean, not in person. I didn't encounter him in person until much later. But as a figure in pop culture, I'm not exactly sure where I made initial contact with his whole persona. It may well have predated me seeing the movies, and it might have been through Wizard Magazine, the comics magazine. Wizard was this very popular, slightly trashy, very glossy, and very thick comics fandom magazine that was very popular in the 90s and Kevin Smith was talking to them regularly mm-hmm. and then eventually he started writing comics which I, I remember when that happened when he wrote his first comic for Marvel which was a, a Daredevil arc and it blew my mind and it was I don't know how well it holds up now I haven't read it recently but at the time it seemed very daring and interesting and, this and he was preceded, getting interviewed all the time this preceded the, the, Chasing Amy? Or you know, I it came think, after. If I'm thinking about it correctly, it was right around the same time. I don't know okay. if it preceded or came after, but it would have been. Well, let's see. It would have been 98, I think, and so it would have been right after Chasing. Well, because that's really Amy, interesting context, right? In that, like, Chasing yes. Amy is built around three cartoonists, cartoonists right? Who form this sort right. of and, odd and triad. Kevin, yeah. Kevin had long. I mean, it's so funny. He was making it in Hollywood. But he would do these interviews where he'd say, you know, my dream, I hope maybe someday I can do it, is to write a superhero comic. And in retrospect, that's just kind of hilarious because, like, this is a common geek misperception. They think that these are really hard things to break into because you have to be really good. Mm-hmm. In fact, comics are really hard to break into just because there's such a crapshoot and there's, like, no money in it. Right. Um, <laughs> and you, like, can't really sustain yourself in it. So it's just funny in retrospect to think, like, very successful Hollywood screenwriter and director going, I hope I get to write a comic someday. It's like, well, I think you can do that if you right, want Right, but to. it's also kind of endearing to me from an outside totally. perspective of him being like, well, I have all this clout now and now I can pursue like my passion project alongside my film career. Totally. Like, I'm like, that's a really cool movie. No, it was I great. It's that. just, it was, and, and um, what was interesting was I then, I, I, I either right before or right after what, reading that Daredevil comic, It must have been around then. I sort of binged the VHSs of the existing movies with Mm -hmm. my father, which is funny to think about in retrospect because I I remember my father loving these movies. And now I watch them and I go, I have no idea what my dad, like it's so, it doesn't seem like his kind of humor. And yet it really grabbed him. And um, we watched Chasing Amy. I have no memory of any commentary he had on Chasing Amy. You watched Amy. that with your dad. Uh, trust me, I watched a lot of movies with my dad that were like a little too uh, adult, as you might say. 
not like pornography or anything, but no, we watch just kind of anything. Like just maybe you don't want to be like sitting right next to you. <laughs> no, I remember many, many, many awkward moments watching movies with my dad because although he had no real restriction on like, oh, you can't watch art that's explicit, he still was not a very like articulate guy about sex and love. You know, well, I, mean, I, I love him very dearly, yeah. but. He, my didn't, parents, he didn't have any insights he wanted to share. My parents were very, person. like, you know, similar in that, like, I mean, they they gave me the talk early. You know, like, they're, they're very, like, open and liberal. Sure. But there are also movies where I'm like, I don't really want to sit five feet from my dad while we watch no, that. It's, it's literally just like a, I don't want us to even be thinking about this in the same I room. probably just dissociated into the movie as yeah. opposed to yeah, yeah. <laughs> thinking about what my father was thinking. Right. That was sort of what I was used to doing at the time. Sure. But the point was, I saw it, and then I think I saw it again in college. I should say that first time I was just a wee whippersnapper. I must have been 13 or 14. Mm-hmm. Um. And then I rewatched it for that profile I was working on. Then I rewatched it now. And mm-hmm. this was the first time I'd seen it post-transition. I hadn't seen it in over six years. Yeah. And seeing it post-transition is a wildly different uh, experience. I think a better one. I think okay. it's augmented. Say more, because I was curious. I wanted to hear your take on it like yeah. as a trans so, woman and in a new sure. frame of mind. Totally. It, initially, I just liked it. I don't mm-hmm. remember having much analysis of it. I watched it later in life and remember, you know, in college and thought, oh, maybe this is problematic. I think a lot of millennials went through that of like, we saw it somewhat young mm-hmm. and then in revisiting it in like the aughts or whatever, it was like, maybe this movie kind of is problematic because it's like, you know, they're invalidating her lesbianism by having her start to date a straight guy. But I think we've reached a point now as a society and I've certainly reached a point as an individual where I can watch this movie and go, oh, this is just what actually happens. Mm-hmm. Like nobody has as clear a set of boundaries between these categories as movies would usually have you believe it. These categories being gay or, I mean, here mostly gay and straight. Right. Or or bi, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a movie ultimately, more than anything else, it's a movie about biphobia. Because yes. what happens is the Joey Lauren Adams character, Alyssa, who we're introduced to as something of a gold star lesbian, mm-hmm. turns out to have had sexual interactions with men in the past that she hadn't disclosed. And this becomes a like an atomic bomb for all of her relationships when this starts to emerge. Because she has lesbian friends who suddenly are like, oh, you're dating a straight guy. Right, like you've sold out or something. You've sold out. You're not in the community anymore. And she has the straight guy in in question, the Ben Affleck character, blowing up at her because he feels like he was lied to and he doesn't, and you know, well, and for, for context, a lot of reasons. For a lot of reasons. Right, but so yeah. for context, she meets Holden, Ben Affleck's character. Correct. And he just, he falls for her pretty fast. Right. And they become best friends. And then when he, I think that, the a moment that didn't gel for me, although I agree sure. with you overall, is when the moment in the car where he's like, I'm in love with you. And she's like, mm. why won't you listen to me when I tell you that I'm I'm gay? But then five yeah. seconds later, she's making out with him. And I was like, on some level, I get that. And I also get that we got to, you know, we got to move the sure. plot forward. But I was also sure. like, I wanted her to like. Think about arg- it. Argue more, I guess. Um, yeah. But like, but I do, I think that at first, 
I was kind of like, is this movie objectifying her? And at first I was like, oh, it's just like a fetishization of like how straight guys always want to watch girls kiss and all that stuff. But then when Holden is thrown into like a crisis over the fact that he's not the first guy she's been with, I felt like it took a much more introspective look at him and his faults in in that way of him being like, insecure that he wasn't her only male partner. Absolutely. And it didn't cast him in a positive light at all. No, like, ben when Affleck's he, character does oh, not come across well in this No, movie. I was like, I hate you. You're slut-shaming her at a hockey game. Like, uh-huh, what is wrong uh-huh. with you? Um, but I also, I really quickly wanted to bring up, I actually, I brought a text in today. Did it's, you? I did. The Purity Myth. It is oh, a book boy. called The Purity Myth uh, by Jessica Valenti, who right now is running a newsletter called... I love called, Jessica Valenti. Yeah, she's yeah. running a newsletter called Abortion Every Day. You should sign up for it. They're merch. Which is really what cute. It says on the tin, but yes, yep. yeah. Um, and I bought a sweatshirt from that line that says all abortion bans can fuck right off into the sun. And it has a little cartoon sun on it. So God cute. bless her. Anyway, so in, this is a really, really interesting book. And I read it mm. years ago and a lot of it has really stuck with me. And the opening part is about like the construct of virginity. And Valenti talks about a an author named Hannah Blank who wrote a book called Virgin, the Untouched History. And the author went to Harvard's medical school library trying to find a definition for the word virginity and could not find one. Wow. Um, and obviously, I mean, this book was published some years ago, so it, perhaps that has been changed and updated. Yeah, but I... Right. It, it, I literally got up and went to my bookshelf during the conversation on the swings where Alyssa's like, so I'm not a virgin because I haven't like you're, because you're I so narrow right. by a dick. Yeah. Right. Cause you're ben Affleck's character is very much a like small New Jersey city yeah. guy from the mid nineties who just can't wrap his mind around virginity being lost under any circumstances other than PIV sex. Exactly. So I thought about that immediately and I was like, man, I I don't think I've seen this in any movie, particularly not one made in the 90s, where it's like, yeah, there are other ways to lose your virginity. People do it every day, all of the time. And they've done it throughout human history of like that have nothing to do with penetrative intercourse. And no. or, or or at least not straight penetrative straight, intercourse. Right. Like that what does she say? Like it has to be people of the opposite sex. Who, right. In order for you to lose your virginity. And I was like, whoa. Um, and so that really struck me in terms of the the progressiveness of this movie is that they were having this right. discussion a long time before everyone was going, well, what does it mean to lose your virginity? Totally. Because um, he accuses is, her of being a virgin after that he overhears this conversation about all of her sex. All debates. the sex she's had. Yeah. And I'm like, sir, sir. Well, it's this really important period piece, I yeah. think. Like, it's very... Well, it it took a lot of notes on how people actually acted in that period. And although a lot of it is antiquated, it was so honest and critical, self-critical, that it doesn't feel dated. It just feels like a fascinating little snapshot of this period of time where, like, it's this weird thin sliver where, like, AIDS is kind of receding to a certain extent— And or at least there's like actual public health measures being taken against it. So there's less stigma about gayness. You have like Ellen coming out on television. There's like this incipient new acceptable queerness that's starting to happen. But all the people who are starting to be more accepting still grew up in the frickin 60s and 70s or whenever. And even if they're starting to sort of have an abstract sense of, oh, gay rights matter. There's still these huge stumbling blocks of Mm -hmm. just, 
oh, definitionally virginity is X or definitionally sex is X or definitionally being lesbian, being a lesbian means X. All of these things that are very antiquated, Mm -hmm. but the new world had yet to be born as of 97. Well, and you mentioned that this is a movie about biphobia, and there were two other kind of pop culture things I wanted to bring into that discussion. So one comes a little earlier, and it's Rent, um, where the only bisexual character, Maureen, is portrayed as like a not predators too strong of a word, but she's basically like, yeah. she's like, I'll fuck anything. And it's like, she's yeah. always cheating on her partners. And it's such an offense. Like it's such a, yeah, it's, it's such it's a caricature great. of, of yeah. queer women of and bi, of women, bi people. Yeah. And it's like, like the, the cheating monster. But then you have, Oh my God. The original run of sex in the city treated by oh sexuality. God, I didn't even watch that. So mm, tell me. Yeah. yeah. So in an early episode, uh, I want to say season two, uh, Carrie dates a bisexual guy and it throws Uh. her whole world into question. And she's just like, has the like ick about it. And uh, weirdly, Alanis Morissette is in that episode just to tie it all together. Um, I'm pretty sure she kisses Alanis, but like she basically is talking to her friends and they're like, I don't think men can be bisexual. Um, See, this was just, it seems like a, like a completely different mindset. It's so wild. Like so recent. Like they're they're basically like, that's for people who don't want to make a choice. Like it's Mm -hmm. one of the, one of them literally says it's a layover on the way to gay town, which gross, gross, so gross. But then in a later season, Samantha played by Kim Cattrall, who has famously distanced herself from this franchise. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Um, yeah, got paid millions of dollars to do a green screen cameo in a car. Like, bless that woman. She's my hero. Um, She's managed to make it work. Yeah. Anyway, go on. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So she dates a woman for like a string of episodes. And mm. from her perspective, she's exploring the natural bounds of her sexuality. And her sure. friends are all like, so you're a lesbian now? And it's like, Ugh. bro, like... Why, why do you have to be this way? And like, I mean, part of the ridiculous part of that entire show is that for a sex columnist, Carrie Bradshaw is the most prudish like person. She's like, I, I don't understand bisexuality. I'm like, then lose your job and you get paid four, $4 a word, which hurts yeah, my feelings. $4 but, a word. But my point in all of this is those two things kind of bookend chasing Amy yeah. and they're both really gross about bi people. So totally. it's fascinating that this dropped smack in the middle of them. Um, and it, but is also yeah. unlike those two, the movie makes itself about that biphobia. Like it yeah. depicts the biphobia, but does not just use it for jokes. It ends up being the core of the movie. And I don't think it trafficked in caricatures the way that those other two things did. No, I felt like no. these were very real people. Oh and God, Joey I, Lord and Adams's character Alyssa mm-hmm. is. Here's the thing. I get what you were saying about that scene where they kiss the first time. Mm-hmm. But what made, and I think the script is lacking in textual yeah. interiority for what she's thinking a lot of the time. But Joey Lauren Adams is such a talented actor. Yeah, she's phenomenal. That there are all these moments where she's just listening to Holden. Mm-hmm. And you can see the full range of thoughts. Maybe this this was something that I got this time. I was like, maybe it's because now I identify as a woman or something. But I, I was watching those facial expressions, especially in that car scene mm-hmm. where she doesn't have much dialogue. And I could see what she was thinking. I could hear it telepathically. Yeah. I could hear... The shock, the anger, the temptation, the disgust, 
um, but also the desire to sit and listen. Like she seems like one of the reasons she's so endearing to people as a person, this Alyssa character, is because she really listens to people and has a very astute set of analyses of how people act and yeah. how they should act. And yeah. a lot of that is hard-won experience because of these past sexual experiences. Like, it doesn't... De- I don't think the movie demonizes her for having no. them. No, 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 But no, it no. definitely... But it is very honest about the fact that that kind of youthful sexual experimentation, while very liberating and knowledge, you know, instilling, can be very traumatic. Well, and I want to talk about the difference between the two scenes where she kind of details her sexual experiences. So, like, right. in terms of the fetishization, like, the scene in the bar, I was like, oh, right, my God. Right, where she's God. just, like, boasting about all the women she's fucked. Right, and, all and that. I was just yeah. like, this is every straight guy's, like, queer woman fantasy. Right. It's just, like, look how, like, openly I verbal know, she I is know. about her, like, everything she's done. But then that scene after the hockey game where she's screaming at Holden in the parking lot and talking yeah. about how... You know, she wasn't used by those guys. She was trying everything to see where her puzzle piece fit right. in the world. Right. That was like the, I can't believe those two scenes are in the same movie. But it makes sense. It makes total sense to me because now as a queer person, mm-hmm. um, I mostly identify as a lesbian now. Yeah. Um, But there was a period where I was identifying as bisexual. And in that period, when I was identifying as bi, I often played up sort of semi-consciously. Mm-hmm. I would sort of play up in conversation the degree to which I was attracted to men or was into the queer scene. Sure. It's a lot of times when you're talking to straight people, especially if you're someone who's bisexual. Sure. And you feel like you don't necessarily have the firmest footing. So in it's like queerness. performative. You can get very performative. Okay. You can be like, that oh, look at how sense. gay I am. That made total sense to me because I, I, she's clearly trying to pass herself off, not just to Ben Affleck's character, right. but to her lesbian friends as more or less huh. a gold star lesbian. I think she really wants to be accepted. And this is one of these things where, like, again, Joey Lauren Adams' performance is what gives you a lot of that. You can just hear in her voice how much she is pretending she doesn't need acceptance but actually needs it. This is blowing my mind. Because now I, that I like literally rethink about it for one second, I'm like, oh my God, it is. But And I think I had... How so? Wait, what, well, no, what is? It, it, it is her putting on this performative, yeah, you know, she's she's side. doing exact... That's the thing is like, you and have the right response. And I think I came response. into it being like, a straight white guy wrote this, so that's why she's doing... But like... Right, but, but no, you're totally... You're but, reading it exactly yeah. right though, because what she is describing is a fantasy like yeah. that. Yeah. And she knows her audience. She knows that's going to grip them and they will validate her by, you know, in that case, she wants to be validated as a lesbian. And she assumes maybe, I don't think it's that she's flirting with them. I think it's like, this will make these guys respect me for the identity. She has to like earn the badge in their eyes. Yeah. And uh, dovetailing with that, speaking of identity, Mm -hmm. what I kept thinking about this go around was, is Ben Affleck's character a latent trans woman? Now, I'm not saying he's textually that. This is entirely just like fan theorizing. Yeah, well, movies are picking. meant to be analyzed and read in new and exciting ways, so let's I know. hear it. And what I kept wondering, and I don't have a conclusive answer on this, is would this individual be likely to at some point realize that, quote unquote, he is in fact also a lesbian? Now, the reason I bring that up is that is my story. 
I have had so, so I've had at least five exes who have gone on to be lesbians of one variety or another after I dated them during my period as a cis straight man. And I had crushes on countless other lesbians. Like that was the energy I gravitated to. Oftentimes, even before I, you know, they knew they were lesbians. Mm -hmm. And certainly before I knew that, it would be, I would date some wonderful girl and we'd have this very awkward sort of chase romance because we didn't know what we were doing. Right, right. And then years later, after we broke up, I'd find out that she was gay. Right. And that has happened to me on five different occasions. Wow. And I kept thinking about myself in those terms while watching this movie. I was like, I, I get, oh, God. I cried so much this time through listening to Ben Affleck's monologue in the car, which is so upsetting, yeah. but so relatable. Like, who among us has not found themselves making their declaration of love at an inopportune time? <laughs> Yeah. I know, not like any of us can ever relate to that. No, couldn't but like, be me. But specifically, his attempt to say, you know, to paraphrase Rivers Cuomo, everyone's a little queer, why can't she be a little straight? <laughs> you know, it's it, he doesn't even want her to not be gay is the thing. He He's totally fine with her being gay. I think what he doesn't articulate for himself, perhaps is that what he wants is to be in a lesbian relationship. I think there's part of him that is offended when he finds out that she's not a gold star lesbian because some deep unspoken part of him was going, oh, oh, I can date, I I can just do this. Like I can meet lesbians and be with them. And I know from experience when you are cis and you are, especially when you're cis and straight, your odds of that actually working out are minimal. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yeah. it usually, and and as this movie demonstrates, if it tries to happen in that guise, it very often doesn't work out. Right. And I mean, the less charitable reading from, from my cis woman should men be sure, illegal yeah. brain is like, <laughs> is like, he's so rigid in his like yeah. need to basically claim her as his own that when he finds out that she's been with men before he's like because he wanted to be king of the mountain right he wanted totally i think that's that's, plant his flag and be like i'm the first dick that arrived and it's like well and also that doesn't matter and i mean we're gonna we're gonna have to talk about that that the scene where he suggests the threesome which made me cringe so hard that my like oh it's one of the most cringeworthy scenes ever but it's so important that you cringe while you're watching oh i wanted to just like crawl into a hole yeah Mm -hmm. um but no i mean but i also see where like like that he that, that he's his experience is speaking to people who have experienced this in a very real way like and again, that's not my lived experience. So I'm coming at it no. from such a cynical perspective of like, oh, just another guy who wants to claim a woman's like sexual sure. autonomy. But I also am like fine with that in the context of the movie. It doesn't make me like the movie less because no, I'm like, it doesn't make you I like him to punch Holden yeah. in the face. Right, but <laughs> like, the movie wants you to feel that way. The movie yeah. is like, look at this guy who just doesn't get it. Yeah. Like, but it's so heartfelt. That's why I cried. Oh I yeah, like, I mean, this doesn't. This isn't gonna w- right. Sell it. Like, he's so good. Ben Affleck's phenomenal so good in this movie. Yeah. And I, while he's talking to her, he he's basically 
trying to get her to do the, the one moment that really hit me was he says, if you feel any kind of reciprocation for this, if you feel any kind of feeling towards me that is similar to what I'm feeling towards you, try and dwell in that for 10 seconds. Yeah. That was such a really, it's such a beautiful line. It really is. And it's so scary to dwell in a feeling like that for 10 seconds when you know it's a bad idea to be with someone. Yeah. You know, but it's very tempting. It's incredibly tempting. Yeah. I I was, I was weeping for him because it was such an ill-founded idea. And boy, did I have many ill-founded ideas when I was identifying as cis and straight. I just didn't get how women's minds worked, I guess, even though I latently kind of was one. I well, And it yeah. makes it all the more heartbreaking to me when he says that he, like, what does he say at the very end of the hockey, you know, po- post-hockey parking lot fight where he's like, yeah. how did I ever believe that we could be normal? And it's like... Yeah, no, he says what he, what he wants to be with, we can't be... Oh, that's right. Thank what you. I want us to be. And what's that? A normal couple. A normal couple, And that right. was... That is a very relatable trans sentiment, actually. There are a lot of trans couples. Now, there are a lot of trans couples who want to be as, like, gay and trans Mm -hmm. as possible. That's kind of where me and my spouse are at. Yeah. But total respect, there are a lot of trans people who their goal is, I want to be in essentially a straight cis relationship right? Right. Um, I don't I want to be that normal couple that I grew up fantasizing about being and I totally respect that that was I'm not saying necessarily that Affleck's character is trans but that was a very relatable sentiment of like I it's not just that I want because he doesn't want to be queer whether or not he is queer you don't see him longing to like break free from the chains of straightness no you know he seems very comfortable where he is and I think that's part of his block with yeah. With Alyssa is that she challenges what he believes and what he knows. Right. And and he is afraid of that challenge. And, you know, maybe it's because he's struggling with his own identity and maybe it's because he's just perfectly happy in his own confines. I think you can read it so many you ways. You can kind of read it either way. Yeah. It's really and I think that that's what makes this movie so strangely ahead of its time. Because when you put the premise on paper of guy dates lesbian, you're like, what? <laughs> like, that seems, what the hell? that does not It sounds not like a bad seem... Kevin James comedy or something. No, you know? like it sounds like Zookeeper part two, literally. I mean, right, it just, right. it does not sound real. And then I sit down and I think I went into it being like, oh, isn't this the one where Ben Affleck dates a lesbian? Like, I, that was my mindset going in. Yeah. And, yep, yep. and I'm confronted with this like deeply felt emotional harrowing movie about people who love each other who can't make it work because they don't see the world in the same way and they, they don't can't see the same world in the same way and in some of the cases of these characters don't see themselves yet. yes yes like they yes. can't they cannot see themselves they're catching glimpses of themselves over the course of this movie but it's i mean Alyssa mostly has herself Analyzed, and I think that's actually kind of painful for her. Is that and I she think has Alyssa a can see Holden, but Holden can't see Alyssa. And Holden can't see himself, yeah. and certainly Banky, the Jason Lee yeah. character, who we haven't even talked about really. No, I know. Banky, Banky is the third wheel. He's the longtime cartoonist partner of Ben Affleck, and he is a raging, like jokey, but raging homophobe. Mm-hmm. Like just constant, and and boy. Did this sound familiar? Did his like terrible dialogue of calling people faggots and everything sound familiar? Because that was how a lot of people talked as of 1997. Yeah. Like it was just socially acceptable still to just 
casually gay bash like that. Yes. As long as you were sort of kidding, you know? Right. Like, as long as there was plausible deniability that maybe you were being ironic or like, well, I don't actually hate gay people. I just think that that guy's a fag, you know? Or like, even you like, still do even that. Even in the early 2000s, like, yeah. I think there's a line on The Office where Michael's like, I don't mean gay in the bad way. I mean, it, like, yeah, in a yeah. bad, bad at sports way. And it's like, what? right. Like, this that episode is like showing TV. like a yeah. little progress. <laughs> yeah. But like, um, the point is, Banky, uh, what's what's revealed by the end of the movie, although it's somewhat ambiguous, I forgot how ambiguous it is by the end. My reading on the first like four times I watched it was, oh, Banky is gay, and Banky is is in love with Holden, the Ben Affleck character. But I, in watching this, I noticed all of the dialogue is very subtly ambiguous. But there is this scene where. It's the big climax where Ben Affleck, his character, Holden, encourages uh, Alyssa and Banky to come to the studio where he and Banky work. And he has, like, a plan. He goes, I figured out what's going to fix this set of bad relationships. This is the straightest sister. It's the straightest malest approach. But at the same time, at the same time, weirdly, it's kind of a trans queer poly approach. (laughs) It's just that the other two people are not real. No three of these people, none of them are like properly negotiated in No. Like they don't really know what they're, maybe Alyssa. Alyssa does, but like the other two, they, they can't, they don't know what they're doing. But he does propose this threesome. He says we should all fuck. And which like his first mistake is like the third party can't be like your best friend. You got to get like no a stranger. You got to <laughs> like, get a stranger or something with no stakes here. You really but need baggage I, involved in that threesome? Like get out of here. But I can see how he logics himself into it. Like he really thinks, oh, if we can all sort of love each other and get over this hump, no right. pun intended, then <laughs> we will be, okay, okay, okay. Sorry. That's good, good, okay, fine. <sighs> um, but uh, if we can do that, then we'll all be fine. Yeah. And Banky, Alyssa says no, very pointedly says <laughs> no. And then Alyssa even this, says right before he asks it, she's like, please don't. Like she please knows exactly she says, what's like, coming. Three times, yeah. she knows exactly where it's going. And she's like, yeah. please don't say it, don't say yeah. it, don't say it. She's like and preparing. And she says no, but Banky says sure. Banky yeah. is like game in that moment. And also Jason Lee has I only noticed this this time. When Holden says, you know, Banky, you're in love with me and we should have sex, Jason Lee's face for like half a second, the first response is oh my God, is this actually happening? And then instantly his face goes back into like, what are you talking about, dude? Right. See, there's this having only seen it moment. the first time, this is, I'm I, like, these are nuances I didn't catch at No, all. it's fine. I just, I was sitting there watched like, it a bunch of times. Like, I know, for, the, for moment, the listeners at home, I had like half my hoodie over my eyes being it's like, so like, it was cringe. a horror movie. It's just yeah. like, it is like a horror movie in that scene where Affleck just completely doesn't get it. Yeah. But... There is that beautiful little moment mm-hmm. where Banky sort of goes, it's a, again, some small part of him that he wasn't in touch with goes, oh, I get to do this. You know, right. it's, it's, I mean, the, 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 the messages of this movie are A, biphobia is bad mm-hmm. and B, conventional heterosexuality is a prison, you know? Yeah, yeah pretty much. Like, it is just so it despite being made by an ostensibly heterosis guy, it is so anti 
those sets of expectations and roles. It just well, does. It's like that stuff's stupid. And we focused on Banky's reaction and we, you know, we said, Alyssa says no, but the way she says no, because he oh, says yeah. to her basically that he would feel like even in terms of like how he's experimented versus right. how, she, which like, it's not a competition. First no, it's of not all. A competition, and second but... of all, louder for the people in the back. It's not a competition, but yeah, also yeah. like she says in her parting shot, I'm not your fucking whore. And I was like, Oh, like mic drop because that he, he, yes. I mean, he loves her insofar as like they have this connection. They do have a real, you know, friendship underneath the sexual relationship that they start. But in this moment, he's viewing her as a path forward as an object. Yeah. And she does not shy away from that. She calls him out directly. And I was, I was really blown away by this, by that outcome of the scene and that she stands up tall and is basically like, how goddamn dare you? And I was like, yes, yes, yes. I was like a cheering section for Alyssa. And, you know, I I just, I'm really glad that the movie didn't have her like storm out crying or, you know, just have like some silent reaction. She makes her point and it's a well taken point. Yeah, and it leaves yeah. Holden as the total fool in the situation. And, and it's the end of both of those relationships yeah. for the most part. I really, you know, it's funny. I was, I was, you know, on Blue Sky posting while I was yeah. watching this. And uh, a mutual, a follower of mine was like, um, oh, I love that movie, but I hate the ending. And I was like, well, you know, the ending is kind of, you know, it, it, it riles you up. Uh, what did you not like about it? And she said, well, I hate that she ended up with the straight guy. And I was like, that's not what happens at the end of this movie. No. It was very interesting. I think a lot of people misremember that there's more romance between Ben At. Like, it's more pro these two getting together than the yeah. movie actually is. Because the movie actually very pointedly ends with her Holden with a new has girlfriend. grown up. Yeah, he's blown up his friendship with and partnership with Banky. So, yeah. you know, the epilogue, it's a year later at a Comic-Con and we see Banky has his own table. It's not joint tabling with, with Holden. And Alyssa has her own table mm-hmm. and a girlfriend or, you know, partner of some kind who's a woman. And it's, there's like a tiny bit of closure insofar as Holden shows up at the con. And one thing I really love is, you know, his gesture is he gives a comic Mm -hmm. where he's sort of done some autobiographical work about that relationship. And it was so interesting. I was like watching this and going, I would probably be offended. But then again, I'm not an autobiographical cartoonist. And Alyssa actually is. Right. So she recognized, it's like game recognizes game. That is not off limits. It's not off limits to depict your life in this particular medium in a very frank way. But she doesn't give him absolution. No. She doesn't forgive him or anything. No. She barely says anything to him. She starts welling up a little bit. And he walks away. And he walks away. And that's sort of, that's the end of it. Yeah. And it doesn't, and then she says to her girlfriend, what are we going to do tonight? It's not like she's like, we have to break up because the love of my life is over there. No. No. She's like, all right. No, she's next part of my life. The last line is, he's just some, he's just a guy I used to know. Yeah. Or a guy I knew, I think. It's yeah, just a guy and I it's, knew. it's just, it is a really tragic story of two people who, because I do believe their connection. Like, I believe oh, yeah. that they love each other and they just can't overcome everything staring them in the face. 
Totally. And, and realistically, all of their he can't overcome a lot of his own baggage. But he, no, I, I really want. I, li- the- I liked the ending a lot. I liked the epilogue a lot. And I liked the moment between Banky and Holden that's completely silent. And Banky's just kind of listening to this fan go on yeah. and on. And he's giving responses that make sense to what the fan is saying, but are really for Holden. And it's like, yeah. they just have this like silent connection of like, because they. Again, those two were best friends and putting aside and possibly all, more and possibly as, more. As, but even yeah. as a distillation of that, like they were partners in mm-hmm. work and they were the closest friends that they had. And like friend breakups are just as hard as romantic breakups, even oh, if they're yeah. tinged Sometimes with po- even a romantic possibility. Yeah. It's just as hard to have a friend breakup, if not totally. worse. Totally, if ways. not worse, especially because Alyssa, he's known for like a few months. Right. Whereas Banky, he's known since they were children. Exactly. And there's that devastating scene about midway through where Banky finds out that Holden and Alyssa are together. Mm-hmm. And he just sort of says like, this this can't work. Like yeah. he, he all of a sudden gets very serious and has this almost prophetic vision this guy who's been very jokey starts outlining like yeah Banky gets real serious in the middle of this movie (laughs) yeah yeah and I don't know he he specifically says like you're gonna destroy something that we've spent so many years building and he goes oh you come on the comic's not gonna suffer and Banky says I'm not talking about the comic right you know he's talking about this relationship this friendship that's uh, this very loving albeit sometimes turbulent relationship between two guys that he really doesn't want to lose. And, well, and ultimately he does lose it. And speaking about friend breakups, again, like taking kind of, cause I, I mean, I do think Banky's in love with Holden, but even separating, I think so too. I definitely yeah. think he is, but even just separating that out, just in terms of the, fr- the a friendship dynamic, mm-hmm. and, and this, I think it's popular, or I think it's a thing that happens with both genders, but speaking from a cis straight woman perspective, when mm-hmm. I've had friends, I've had some friends in my life, enter relationships and they vanish they disappear and those friendships are then thrown by the wayside and i'm lucky that in my 30s that has been happening less and less and less like i have a lot of friends in long-term relationships with whom i still have a very independent connection and i don't feel like you know abandoned because they are in these long-term partnerships sure but certainly in my 20s oh in your 20s it happens all the time all the time and it always hurts so badly yeah and whether i was partnered or not when it happened it was still just like well where did you go like how did this happen and and like banky's concern my concern oftentimes when that used to happen was always like look it's not that i so much mind you not being around me it's i know you well enough to know that this relationship is not going to go well right exactly it's not so much about me losing time with you although i do miss that it's also i know you better than you know yourself and and this relationship is changing you for the worse because you are now for the worse or it's going to just hit a wall because you're you are who you are right right and some of those you know, relationships that got in the way of friendships. Some of them are over and some of them are not in terms of people that I've met throughout my life. And, but I mean, for various reasons, like relationships can really disrupt friendships. And I thought that this movie did a really good job of portraying that because that is such a a hurtful and awful thing where you watch your friend submerge themselves in something and you are no longer in their periphery. And it's a really painful experience. And 
and you know, for Banky, it's more complicated because he wants to marry Holden and, and snuggle with him for the rest of his life. I mean, honestly, like, I'm sorry. He, I totally, no, buy it. I totally, I totally, buy, totally it. buy it. Like, yeah, because yeah. now that I think about it, I'm like, yeah, every time like they were arguing, I was like, what's, what's happening with Jason Lee's face? What, how is he reacting? Right. Why is um, he doing this? I yeah. mean, Banky's almost like the, you know, the kid on the playground who makes fun of his crush. Yeah. 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 Know, He's pulling like, Holden's pigtails over and over again. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Um, but so this movie is really, really beautifully written. We've touched on that it a lot. It is. It's, and I, I want to say, Kevin Smith, who, I, you know, I spent some time with him, and he was a really thoughtful guy about this movie in this period. He was dating Jory Lauren Adams for yeah, a Yeah, he dated her during Mallrats, right? That's what, yeah. yeah. And he's been very open, and they, they've, they've, you know, reconciled, and they're fine. He appeared, she appeared in a cameo that I will leave relatively undiscussed in Jay and Silent Bob reboot. Mm-hmm. Not not Strike Back, reboot, the mm-hmm. little scene one um, from a few years ago. There's like this epilogue where like Alyssa and Holden are like not together, but they're co-parenting a child. And what? I was sort of like, okay. okay. Yeah. It was, it was a little silly. Yeah. Um, but you get Ben Affleck and Joey Orler and Adams for the day. You got to do something with them. Exactly. So, um, but anyway, the point is... Uh, they're fine now, but they had a lot of turbulence in their relationship. And he's written pretty eloquently in one of his memoirs about like how he fucked that up. Mm-hmm. Like he, Kevin Smith, although he is in some ways kind of the er cis straight fanboy, like that's kind of his brand. He has a lot of compassion for and insight say, into I the female experience. Every like, single interview I've ever seen with him, and I want to hear more about. Obviously, you actually met the guy, but. As, yeah. as someone who has not, I've always viewed his interviews and his take on things as extremely empathetic for a guy yeah. who makes a movie like Clerks. Like, I'm just like, wow, this is a totally. guy who contains multitudes and I'm fascinated by it. Yeah, he does. I mean, you know, I it's not like we're best friends. I don't know him mm-hmm. as intimately as a lot of people do. But the sense I got of him was he's a pretty fundamentally decent guy mm-hmm. who really just doesn't like hurting people or seeing people hurt. Like, I think there's some degree to which he's tortured by the fact that he, as a straight cis guy, has done dumb straight cis guy stuff. Because that all the movies are about, or a lot of the movies are about, like, dumb cis straight guys screwing up. Like, it doesn't valorize them in the way that, like, you know, a National Lampoon comedy might. Like his comedies are always like, look, these guys kind of suck. And these guys are always riffs on him and his friends. Well, and it's, you know? it makes it all the more poignant that he has the um, the monologue in the movie that, that would have Leo DiCaprio pointing at the screen with the beer can in his hand. Where he right, says the, movie the chasing title. Amy yeah. monologue. Yeah. Right, because you may have noticed, listeners who are not familiar with the film, no one we have mentioned is named Amy, despite Correct. the title of this film. That is referring to this one monologue that Kevin Smith's character only appears in one cameo. Um, Silent Bob, who's a recurring figure in the series, gives you know he 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 gives this monologue about a relationship he had where a woman's sexual history intimidated him and caused him to lose it. And in that monologue, he says stuff like he's I can't remember exactly how he phrases it. But he's like, you know, I blew up at her dumb guy stuff, mm-hmm. dumb guy stuff. Like he he gets you know there's there's he gets all of these male characters. By the end of the movie, with the exception of Jay, the the drug dealer, seem to have some sense 
that there's something wrong with them. Yes. But they have yet to kind of master it or even figure it out what it None is. None of them have been to therapy yet. <laughs> None of them have been to therapy yet. None of them have been forced to ask these questions. Yeah. But the trauma of that relationship breakdown forces uh, both Holden and Banky, I pres- it's definitely Holden, but presumably Banky as well, to ask themselves a lot of questions about like, what the hell holds me back in life? Why do I screw up relationships? And, and the you question can't of- advance until you ask that. The question of regret, because the title comes yeah. from Silent Bob saying that ever since then, he's been chasing Amy in, in one way yeah, or Amy another. Yeah, Amy was the name of the girl right, he'd been Amy, dating. He's exactly. like, I've been chasing Amy ever since then. Right. Don't, and yeah. What were you going to say? Sorry. No, I no. I just want, I mean, no, of course, you're you're fine. But like, yeah, I mean, I think it's really notable. You bring up his past with Joey Lauren Adams. You bring up that he mm-hmm. is a man who does not, who strikes you as a person who does not like to hurt people and then no, I don't think he gets any no no no, no which no, a no. lot of directors do a lot of directors are total sadists exactly I mean you look at I mean just old Hollywood stories of like oh, you know God. people making like little kids cry by saying their dog's dead to get them to produce yeah, tears to get them like, yeah, like, yeah, or exactly. you know pumping Judy Garland full of like methamphetamines or whatever they were yep, feeding yep, her yep, 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 but yeah. yeah so I just I think that that is that monologue is made so much more beautiful by knowing that Kevin Smith is speaking to his experience and speaking to a universal straight man experience of oh man I, that was dumb that I was really dumb, sp- dumb thing that I, I did. wish it was a universal experience but a lot of straight men don't have any no, regrets you, I, or I guess it, doing the dumb thing is the universal doing the experience. dumb things is universal acknowledging it is a acknowledging different matter entirely yeah totally <laughs> different and I I want to say before we wrap it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one the one section of this movie that I used at least used to have completely memorized by heart has nothing to do with any of this, but is easily one of the funniest and most politically insightful things ever said about the movies in the Star Wars franchise. That opening mo- that early monologue where they're at a Comic-Con and this uh gay black man who sort of has this persona as a, you know, he's a cartoonist and he has a persona as like a, a tough black militant when in reality he's much more quiet and nuanced. You know, he's giving the black militant speech at a, a, a comics panel about like minorities and comics. <laughs> and he's talking about how racist Star Wars is. And he that was has incredible. Holden and Banky stand up and sort of like pretend be audience plants right. to kind of like antagonize him so that at the end he can fire blanks from a fake gun and like make it look like he's killed one of them as just like a publicity stunt. Very funny. But he makes this excellent point that I just would be remiss if we talked about Chasing Amy and I didn't say bravo, which is ever since I saw that movie, I have been fascinated by the question of before Return of the Jedi, did viewers assume Darth Vader was black? Why wouldn't they? Like, I guess before, yeah. it's just the first one, really, because you have the end revelation at an empire that he's Luke's father. But even there, like, as my spouse is always pointing out, James Earl Jones, who's the voice of Darth Vader, is his a black son <laughs> is a black man, and his son is very light-skinned. Like, mm-hmm. you could have Luke Skywalker be the son of a black man. Also, it wouldn't be the- let's be really clear. These movies are set in space. It doesn't I matter. Know. It doesn't matter. But more importantly, it's just, he he had the the black radical right, gay guy has right. this monologue where he's like, you know, here's this white Aryan Nazi motherfucker, <laughs> Luke Skywalker, who gets together with his white friends right. to go fuck up this black guy. And specifically, he goes, you know, 
He goes, you know, the worst part is that he takes off the mask in Jedi and it's a crusty old white guy. And it's saying <laughs> inside we all want to be white. And I'm like, that's yeah. true. And he and, and of course the best line is he says, you know, talking about them coming after the rebels coming to blow up the Death Star, which is Vader's you yeah. know, he's like, you know, Vader's hood, you know, the Death Star, it's orbiting around. And they blow it up. He goes, What do you call that? And Banky says, Intergalactic Civil War. And the guy goes, gentrification. Yeah, that was incredible. It's great. It's fucking great. I monologue. kind of forgot about that in the Alyssa Holden Banky of it. I know. Also, it, thank it's you for not relevant it back. to the later plot. No, but it just it's rules. It's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny and so accurate that, like, that is a pretty racist aspect of Star yeah. Wars. You know, yeah. we have, like, the yeah. one black, we have, like, two black characters, one of whom is Lando Calrissian, this, like, sexy playboy right. who can't be trusted. And the other is fucking Darth Vader, who is revealed at the end to be white for some reason. You know? Well, and again, so, like, like skin tone and color shouldn't matter in a movie about fucking space. No, it's fucking <laughs> like, space. It's who fucking cares? space. And There's, yet, here we are. Uh, yeah. Like maybe, we'll, maybe we'll talk about that in uh, in the next one. I yeah. have no idea. I, we haven't even decided what our next... Do you think we'll have a next episode? Should we end the season here? What do you think? I think let's we should talk the, about... Let's let the listeners in on our... Yeah, I think... Well, I was thinking I don't think we can end the first season of the show without talking about a seminal girlhood classic by the little name of Clueless. I would love that. Okay, great. Yeah. Get resolved. Our next episode <laughs> will be about Clueless and then we'll evaluate whether we want to end the season. Yeah. Here. But... um. Thank you, listeners, for listening. Yeah. Uh, Nina, where can people find you? I'm still on Twitter. Um, wow, still? Yeah. They're about to start charging you to even be on there. Are you going to pay? Well, okay. I want to be clear about something. They said you couldn't block people anymore. That never happened. I'm going to wait and see if this actually comes to uh, fruition. I uh, also still see freelance pitches on Twitter. So until they make me pay. Yeah, yeah. I guess you're right. That I mean, it's, it. it is really, really a big part of just finding work for me mm, on a very unfortunate level. Um I am on Twitter at Nina Starner. If you follow me on Twitter, you can also find me on Blue Sky. Please follow me there, or even if you don't. Yes, Blue Sky is a wonderful ecosystem. Find yeah, what, because you're, you're I... Nina Starner there, too. I right? am Nina Starner there, and I'm... My my circle is still really small there just because, like, I, I I don't know where anyone is. So come, come hang out with me. And you can mm-hmm. be hung out with on Blue Sky as well, correct? I very much can. You can find me... At uh, on Blue Sky at Josie.zone. That's J O S I E dot Z O N E. And that is also the URL of my website, Josie.zone. You can see all my writing there, uh, and or at least some of my writing. And um, yeah, take it from there. Yeah. So thank you, Nina. And uh, thank I you, guess Josie. We will, we will hear uh, from ourselves next week. <laughs> Talk to you then. Thank you for listening. <laughs>